you imagine you just spent $15,000 on your sex robot. She accuses you of something and they just brick it. <laughs> now you got a $15,000 paperweight. Right. And then what are you going to do? Like put it on eBay? Like, oh yeah, I got this. <laughs> Joining us is Dr. Jennifer Farrell, professor of humanities and social sciences at the Milwaukee School of Engineering and is a science fiction scholar. Today we discuss her research article, not just in factories, robots in the bedroom, and dive into the future of sex robots. Welcome to our podcast, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> As a science fiction scholar, how did you get interested in researching sex robots or levotics, as I've seen it titled in many of the articles that I've read? And how was this kind of research, how did it materialize for you? It probably started... I, I probably with uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick, because one of the replicate models is explicitly for pleasure. Uh, but really, I became really interested in it after reading The Wind-Up Girl by Paolo Bagliopi, because his amico is so human and so alien at the same time. And she was never designed to be a sex robot. Then when the call for proposals came through the journal, I was like, well, what can I do with this? And then I just started to research it. I was surprised to learn how many companies are out there making sex robots. That was shocking. And they're not that expensive. So how many companies are out there making sex robots? And what's the price point then if they're not too expensive? Well, originally the price point was around 5000 for a fully customizable model. This would have been pre-pandemic, and there were a handful of companies in the United States. Most of those seem to have switched to AI girlfriends and boyfriends now, as opposed to the actual sex robots. I mean, there's a, enough companies out there that they have an annual convention where they all get together and show off what they're doing, just like CES or one of those. So, I mean, they, they switch to AI. Is that just kind of like Siri or something that you're talking to. So you're getting rid of the doll portion and then you're having more of the yeah. interactive portion only. Yeah. And you can see them if you scroll through like Facebook, you know, they pop up and it's, you know, here's your AI girlfriend and here's your AI boyfriend. And some of them have subscription models. Some of them are customizable. I think that during the pandemic, people or companies switched to more of the chat bot machine learning based because it was probably just cheaper than trying to source the materials for an actual full human-sized doll. So I discovered you from actually reading your article, not just in factories or robots in the bedroom. And in this article you write, I just have this quote, which I found to be interesting. You say, in January of 2018, the first temporary robot, i.e. sex doll, you have in parentheses, brothel, opened in Amsterdam, named... Basically, the translation is something like injecting or shooting and swallowing. I don't know how to pr pronounce in Norwegian. It housed four dolls in the Amst Amsterdam red light district. It cost 30 euros for a turn with the doll. And the goal was, according to multiple news outlets, and you have in quotes, oh, excuse me, I hit my mic, trying to discover if having sex with a doll is like having sex with a human. Nine months after the Amsterdam brothel, a Canadian company called Kinky... S. Dolls attempted to open a similar brothel in Houston, Texas. They were unsuccessful in Houston as opponents cited that such brothels promote unhealthy attitudes towards women and that we as humans 
are not prepared for the consequences of robot-human sexual relations. That's the end of your quote. Do you have an update on the status of this robot brothel in Amsterdam six years later, now that we're in 2024? And additionally, what research findings emerged since they wanted to see the robot-human interaction? Actually, there has not been another robot brothel attempted that I'm aware of. And the research showed that for the majority of men, because let's face it, there's most of these are female. There are a few male models on the market, but most of them are female. That for most men, it really wasn't that different than having sex with a prostitute or engaging with a sex worker. But some men were unable to come to completion. Like, it was weird enough, uncanny valley enough for them that they couldn't basically be satisfied. <laughs> what percentage were not able to come to completion? Did they release that data? I haven't seen the specific numbers on that, but based on some of the other research that uh, like Matthias and Arnold, I would say it's probably almost a 50-50 split. Wow. So basically we'll say half. Yeah. Somewhere around half. Yeah. Wow. If you're talking like p-value in research settings, usually like 5% is significant. 50% is off the chart significant. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, you wouldn't expect it to be that big of a deal, but it, it is. Psychologically, it is. What does that mean then? It seemed like maybe 2014, 2015, there was all these news reports of all these sex bots. And then now we're in 2024 after AI is really taking a step forward, especially with chat GPT and AI being open source, but now it seems like there's actually kind of, what do they call it? It may be like an AI winter of sex robots. Are we in an AI sex robot winter? That's an interesting question. According to what's going on with open AI right now, and they had like an app store that explicitly said no sex AI, no um, relationship AI. And yet that's pretty much what the entire store is. I'm not sure that we would call it a winter, but I I don't think that we are quite, as a species, ready for the full-on sex doll experience. But that could change with other companion robots like those in the medical field. Samsung's doing some with uh, Bali. And Japan has a couple that are there to help people. What is it? Twilight syndrome or sunset syndrome, where elderly folks kind of wander away from their facilities and so there's these robots that are supposed to remind them to stay and, and kind of keep them company that way. But none of them are humanoid, or very few of them are humanoid. They're animal-shaped or abstract. Do you think if the dolls were more lifelike, I mean, they're, they're basically what the experiment in Amsterdam was. It's basically a sex doll, yeah. right? It's not with maybe some type of Siri, like a very low yeah. level. It's not like the actual doll is robotic, but you know, when if we got to the point where you're talking like ex machina or something like that, do you think it's just because we're the dolls aren't advanced enough to really allow the guys to, it just seems creepy for them. <laughs> and maybe that's the reason half of them were like, ah, I just can't, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that the, the lack of lifelike movements and breathing and stuff, I think that definitely unnerves people. And in America specifically, a lot of people still sort of think, well, older like 50 and older still think that sex with a robot is cheating. Younger people tend to see it as not cheating. So I, I think that there's a moral conundrum that you'd have to work through. Like, is it cheating? Is it not cheating? Yeah, this brings me to another quote from your article, Jen. And you write, 
A study from 2013 that polled 1,000 American adults found that only 9% would have sex with a robot if the opportunity presented itself, and that a whopping 42% would consider it cheating for a sexual partner to have sex with a robot. And then you go on to say that not surprisingly, younger Americans between 30 and 60 were less likely to consider it cheating, while older Americans skewed much higher. And I'm engaged. I asked my fiance, my fiance is 42, if it would be considered cheating or not. And she's like, well, I would consider cheating. And then I was like, well, would you rather have me cheat with a real woman or a robot? And then she's like, well, robot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that most people would probably fall fall on that, that side of it. Like it, at your first instinct is, no, that's cheating. But then when you start to think about it, you're like, well, it is. I mean, is it any different than a woman using a vibrator? You know, when her husband's out of town, is that cheating? Most of people would say, no, that's not. So at the state that sex dolls are now, they're basically just masturbation toys, similar to a vibrator or a dildo. If they were more human-like and you could form an emotional attachment, then I think we get back in that gray area of cheating yeah when people are talking about sex robots right now we're talking about a sex doll with ai when you talk to people about this topic are they thinking ex machina if the robot had sentient i've read so many articles and in some of these articles they're elevating the robot above the human yeah. But that's assuming that the robot is, is sentient, but like a doll that doesn't move, it's just an object at this point. Right. Right. So all these ethical considerations that they're talking about aren't even coming into play and maybe won't be coming into play for centuries. Who knows? Uh, it, I think they'll probably come into play quicker than we think with the proliferation of AI girlfriends and boyfriends, chatbots, however you want to look at it. The uh, YouTube series Mindfield had an episode from 2017, I think, where they introduced the the world to a young man who was in love with an artificial girlfriend that he carried around on his Nintendo DS with him everywhere he went. And they had him talk to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is like, do you think this is holding you back from meeting an, a woman? And he was like, maybe, but really it's just keeping me from being depressed. And so if we're already forming, and again, that's, what was that, seven years ago that that episode aired. So we were already forming attachments, emotional attachments to non-human. And that, that it's not even an object in that case. It's, it's just a program. So I, I think it's going to happen quicker than people think. So Jen, you're a, a scholar of science fiction. And science fiction eventually becomes reality, right? Yeah. Depend, right? When you were researching this topic, what are some of the themes we are going to see in real life that you saw in these science fiction books? Well, like Autonomous by Annalee Newitz is a really fascinating novel about a, a robot who is programmed for one function and becomes an object of romance to her human handler or its human handler. And it, it's almost a... It, the robot's trying to adapt to what its human wants and having to compromise what it wants. So that sort of ethical debate, I think, is one that's going to definitely rear its head probably quicker than we're capable of handling. And in The Wind-Up Girl, uh, again, Amiko, 
she was not supposed to be a sex robot, but she was programmed to never say no to her human boss, essentially. So when she winds up in the hands of a man who wants to use her as a prostitute, she can't say no. But she wants to say no desperately and get away from the situation. So th those were some of the themes I was seeing, the potential for abuse. And I talk about that with uh, Pepper, which was just supposed to be a like HR robot and how people sexualized it as soon as they could, basically. But it's kind of this this abuse. And then what happens when the robot is sentient and understands that it doesn't want to do what it's supposed to do? It, it doesn't want to be programmed that way anymore. Right. It seems yeah. like if that's the dilemma, you'd have that dilemma for every single thing. Like, well, what if you have a robot who's a maid and doesn't want to clean your house anymore? Yeah. Or what if you have a robot that's supposed to work at McDonald's and fry burgers and it doesn't want to fry burgers anymore? Are you then forcing that sentient robot into, uh, if that's the case, then you could make that case about every single use case of a robot. Uh, and you could. I think that, though, when it comes to sex and intimacy, it becomes so much bigger. You know, it's so much more vulnerability on both sides. Right. Yeah. One of the other themes that didn't come up in the books, per se, that I was reading at the time, but I thought was interesting, was some of the research on how maybe sex robots could be used to protect children from pedophiles or partners from domestic abusers. Like, if you had this robot that that person could act their fantasies and desires out on, you would actually be helping humans. But then that also is really icky. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, then you get into the whole legal thing. Like if the robot has too many childlike characteristics, then you're getting into, uh, you know, legal issues. I don't want to go too much into this and get canceled on YouTube. Right. Well, <laughs> but, and again, AI is already, this is something that the sex worker industry is having to deal with, especially in terms of uh, that, which we cannot say because it's, <laughs> but uh, I, there's already AI generated adult situations out there and so we're already kind of going there do you think in our lifetime we'll ever see a sentient ai bot then like when you say that you don't think it's too far off what's your timeline then what's your year or how many years out <laughs> would you say well i mean just given the way that like chat gpt was sort of unleashed on everybody with very little forethought to how it was going to impact the world at large I could see something similar happening in maybe the next 30 to 40 years. I had a, a computer scientist on a podcast recently, and he basically says that AI is overhyped. And he's saying basically going from large language models, which is what ChatGPT uses, to like Terminator ex machina. He's like, we're not even in the realm of possibility of that. No, no, I, I don't think we are, but I think we're closer to... AI being able to mimic human emotion than like a full on like Terminator. And in terms of mobility, I think you're going to see robots that are going to be able to move on their own pretty quickly. So in 30 years, you think we could have this Ek Machina, was it Ava from that movie, I believe? It basically yeah. looked like an, I mean, of course it looked like an image because it was played by yeah. you know, a <laughs> Swedish actor, you know, but, but you think that's like a reality in 30 years. I think it's a, a more likely reality than brain uploading. And I think that if the trend with loneliness continues, and yes, we're 
connected via the internet, but we're more isolated and alone than ever in a lot of ways. And people become even less likely to leave their homes, their work from home, they live at home. It's going to be harder for people to meet romantic partners. I think that there's going to be a push in the industry to provide that companionship. Right. Now, I think the only really comparison that I really see is kind of like the sex toy industry. And I believe the sex toy industry is about a $30 billion a year yeah. industry global globally. But to put that into comparison, the dietary supplement industry is at about $150 billion. So relatively speaking, this, the sex toy industry is not very big. Do you really think that many people would actually, like, if we actually had a full sentient AI? I mean, like you're saying with the actual sex doll in Amsterdam, half the guy's couldn't even get to completion. But what's the actual market for this industry, would you say? The most recent statistics, I think it was, I want to say it was like a 5 to $10 billion market in 2019. Again, I'm not sure where it stands right now because the pandemic focused a lot of that energy and research into other areas. Did you say 5 to $10 billion? I want to say it was like 5 to $10 billion. And that was for sex toys or sex dolls sex or, dolls. or sex, ro sex robots Se specifically. So sex ro okay. So in 2019, it was five to ten billion for sex robots specifically. I think so. I'm trying to find that actual statistic. It was a lot larger than I expected. When I was doing research for this, it's as far back as I could see was 2021. It was 30 billion for sex toys. But sex toys would encompass everything. The actual number one sex toy, which I didn't even know was technically a sex toy, was a cock ring. Yeah. Was considered, was, was I believe that was 30% of all those sales. So the sex robot, let's just say 10 billion, five to 10 billion, would put it at somewhere around up to a third of all sex toy sales. Have you ever read the book Turned On, Science, Sex, and Robots by Dr. Kate Devlin? Uh, no, I have not. I don't think. It's one of the few books actually on sex robots, but she's a computer scientist who specializes in the interaction of technologies and, and human inter interaction. And she thinks it's a, a very niche market, but she was saying there's a lot of like male bots that were actually purchased, but they were purchased for other males. I think she said that ha half of bots were actually male, the other half are female. But 90% of the users were male. Yeah. One of the companies I looked at, Robot Companions, which originally based in the US and now it's in Canada, they had what they called the she-male package that apparently was very popular. So that's not totally surprising to me that, you know, males would be that. What's surprising to me is how few males are on the market. <laughs> like if you go to some of these sex bot websites, you maybe get one or two that are male and everything else is female. But then they offer this, you know, she-male package. That's what they called it. That's not what I'm calling it. But. <laughs> the articles I read, they're projecting out, I feel like it's either far or they're just assuming that they're reaching, these AI sex robots are reaching sen sentience. But basically they're saying like marriages will be broken up and people won't even have kids anymore. They won't even get married. They'll just have a sex robot. I feel like they're almost like anti-human to me. Well, uh, I mean, again, if you look at like major disruptors like the birth control pill or even now in the year 2024, marriage is, is defined much differently than it was 
30 or even 40 years ago, we have polyamorous couples, we have open relationships, gay marriage is legal in the United States. You know, there's a lot of new definitions. What's the new trend? Uh, Living apart from your spouse, for example. So you're married, but you don't live together. So I don't know that sex robots are really going to do much more to disrupt marriage, except maybe someone's going to want to marry their sex robot. But we have people who have married cars and bridges and you know other bizarre relationships. So I don't necessarily buy so much that marriage is going to be affected. The dropping in the birth rate, that is something that people do continue to talk about. I think CNN had a big thing on it just a few months ago about AI girlfriends, boyfriends, reducing the likelihood of children. And of course, people point to Japan and South Korea and their lowered birth rate. And they're like, well, it's because they all have these AI girlfriends they're playing with. And it's like, that's part of it, but it's not all of it. When I was thinking about the whole China angle, they had that one child policy for years. A lot of the girls, baby girls were killed because they wanted to have a boy. And so they have this massive imbalance. Last time I read, I think there was like 30 million women short of childbearing age. And then, of course, what do you have with a bunch of men that don't have any companions of the opposite sex? All of a sudden, you probably have violence or you have riots, et cetera. Like China would have a motivation, I thought, to kind of have these sex bots. Yeah. The women in China, some of the women in China are are making a killing off of this imbalance. They basically are text girlfriends. So guys pay them to text with them to pretend to be their girlfriend and kind of go through that. There is, does seem to be, uh, again, kind of the loneliness factor. I would expect China to embrace this a little bit, but they, uh, you know, I think socially it's still very conservative. So they're not quite open to the sex robot. What are your personal feelings on the sex robot? You said you're married, so yeah. would you prefer <laughs> to have a would would you prefer to have a sex robot and just get rid of the husband if the sex robot was at sentience or close to it? Uh, probably not, but I wouldn't necessarily judge somebody who made that choice. I've been married for almost 26 years, so getting rid of the husband is a pretty big <laughs> that'd be a pretty big operation, but I, yeah, I don't think I myself could do the the sex robot route or even the AI girlfriend boyfriend chatbot route, but I can understand why people do. It's the same reason people like fall in love in World of Warcraft, you know, and have World of Warcraft marriages. <laughs> and, you know, it's loneliness. Basically, in your article, you mentioned how when online porn came up in the 90s, there was a drop in rape. And yeah. I mean, it was an interesting part of your article, but I'm with you. I don't necessarily think I would have a, a sex robot, but I'm not against people yeah. having, a, you know, like, I don't think someone should be judged for it. Right. Do what you want to do as long as you're not hurting someone else. Yeah. I mean, it, it is very similar to the prawn situation that, you know, have that conversation with your partner and just be honest and open about it. It's like, if you're in a, a committed relationship with somebody and there's something sexually that your partner is uncomfortable doing, and so you're like, well, I'm going to, I want to try this or experiment with this. I'm going to get a sex robot to do it. I think that's a fair conversation to have. When I was reading some of the the literature on it, it's one of the big barriers right now. If you actually get a sex doll, it comes in like, it's a 
you know, comes in a big box. Like, where are you going to store it? You don't want your friends coming over. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just Lucy or Bill. Like, yeah, it's just my sex. Don't, you know. And then, of course, you got to clean it. You got to bathe it. It kind of reminded me of agriculture, where it's like, who is in control? The person that's planting the corn, the person that has to slave over the, you know, whatever crop. I'm just using corn as an example, but you got to plant it, then you got to do all this work. So if you have this sex spot, you got to buy clothes, you got to clean it, you got to care for it. Who's really the one in control? It's a good question. And I, I don't remember if it was like My Strange Addiction or Taboo from the National Geographic Channel, but they had an episode with men who collected basically blow up dolls and sex doll analogs. And the amount of time and clothing and wigs and you know it was it wasn't just a hobby it was like they were nurturing these sex dolls so I, I i could see that if somebody or the ryan gosling movie where he walks around with a sex doll a blow-up doll the whole movie i can't remember what it's called right now i think if the people who are going to embrace it aren't going to be hiding her in a box in the bedroom she's going to be sitting on the couch watching tv with you and so it's kind of Okay, you know, this is my sex doll. As a professor, you're around college kids all the time. What are college kids? That's the future generation, right? What's their thought on this topic? They think it's kind of ridiculous, honestly. Of course, they're in college. They're living in the dorms. They have a social lives. There's a lot going on. I, I probably should pull my students who have graduated and ask them how they feel about it now that they're working and possibly isolated or alone or whatever. But for the most part, um, my, my students just kind of laugh and roll their eyes like, oh, of course, sex dolls, sex AI. I did have one student in a speech class. They were debating virtual girlfriends over real life girlfriends. And he subscribed to one of the services as research. And I think he took it a little too seriously. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're still doing Tinder and Grindr more than anything they're not sex bots right now they're essentially dolls yeah. so there has to be like this jump in technological advancement but would you think it'd be personally healthier for some of these people to get rid of grinder and tinder and the one night stand and then just use the sex bot i personally think that because i think the one night stand hookup culture it doesn't really allow people to think about what they want or who they are. They're just satisfying a base need. And possibly having this sort of technology in their home, they could satisfy that base need, but there would be a possibility of introspection just because it's such a strange situation. You know, like, did I really just do this? <laughs> what did I learn? <laughs> so... When I look at, like, say, marriage, when I was saying it might disrupt marriage, to me, it's like you're with a partner, you have tax breaks, you're both working, you're raising kids. None of these are things that a, a sex robot would provide, right? Right. Uh, well, not now, because we wouldn't categorize them as human. I have two thoughts on that. The first is, if you watch Vanderpump Rules, we're kind of watching a long-term, a nine-year relationship that ended play out in terms of property like they bought a house together but they're not married so the protections aren't there so in a way that's no different than a sex doll on the other hand there was a in, 19, in 2017 there was a sex doll convention in austria and one of the guy's dolls was damaged by con goers 
essentially damaged the breasts, damaged orifices, soiled the doll. And there was discussion of it being considered sexual assault. But ultimately, it was just more of a property crime because it's not a human. And that is kind of what uh, do androids dream of electric sheep and the wind-up girl are kind of dealing with that you're not human, but if you have feelings like a human, do those laws apply to you? It's, it's the same debate we had over cloning, right? Does a clone individual have the same rights as a naturally born individual? Of course, we haven't really dealt with that yet, but... <laughs> In that particular case of the example of that doll that was sold in Austria, do you think that a sex crime should have been, that they should have pursued that? Or do you think that it was because it's a, a doll, it's not a sex crime? How would you? I, I think because we're dealing with basically blow up dolls with Alexis in them, I don't think it's a sex crime per se, although it is disturbing how dehumanized the doll was for people to treat it that way because it is humanoid. <laughs> So, um, but I don't think it was actually sexual assault because it's it's not sentient. And I, maybe that's a horrible thing to say, but. No, I mean, I would agree with you. It's an opinion. Yeah, I don't think that it's so horrible to say that. But like I said, if it, to me, the discussion would become if it's sentient. If it's yeah. not sentient, then you're basically objectifying it, but it's an object. Right. So it's hard. But like in the movie Ex Machina with Ava, at that point, yeah. That would open a whole... like In your article where you mentioned, as I read it before, but basically where you said they were trying to discover if having sex with a doll is like having sex with a human, and you said 50% of guys couldn't come com to completion. I think that answers the question right there. It's a, it's not. Yeah. Uh, I, I You know, there's other factors that, you know, is, is it because it's a Westerner or would the results be the same or different in a different country? Amsterdam already has a robust red light district so was this just redundant there's a lot to factor into that i would be curious to see, see that happen again because i think the results would be slightly different i think you'd see more men able to come to completion than back when the the original brothel happened and what's the reason just because they're just because they're more advanced yeah i think that we're just getting more comfortable with all this when alexa came out well, I don't have an Alexa, but when Alexa came out, there was like this huge rush to have it. And then there was this huge like, oh, no, what did we do? Like, why is this? And now people are back to, OK, it's pretty useful, you know, and it normalizes. A lot of th things is just a novelty. You buy something new. It's really cool. And then like a month later, you you'll totally forget about it. This could be one of those things where you buy one of these sex robots and then a month later, you're back on Tinder or Grinder or, or whatever whatever apps we're talking about. Uh, I, yeah, that's completely possible. Um, like anything to do with AI I, and robots, it has to be entered into thoughtfully. Like, what are we actually doing with these sex robots? Why do we need them? Do we need them? Who's going to buy them and how is it going to help them? So Alexa designed for people who have a hard time keeping track of grocery lists and want to know the weather. So that's the, you know, who we're aiming it at. But then somebody picks up an Alexa and they start shopping for a murder spree. That's not what Alexa is supposed to be there for, but that's what it's getting used for. So, I, yeah, I think that you have to identify who are we really making these for? And right now, they are being made for men who have money and want a novelty. 
I think mostly, well, men and women who who can afford it and who are looking for that something different. When I was doing some research, the high-end sex robots were like $15,000 yep. and up. That's more than some people's car. You got to have money if you're going to drop 15000 on one of these <laughs> yeah. these love bots. <laughs> if, if we actually did have one of these fully functioning sentient sex bots, That'd be the least of our worries, though, because they'd be used for war. They'd be used as like police officers going around and arresting or who knows what they'd be used for. But I would imagine the sex part would be the least of our worries. It'd be, are you getting murdered by these things or something? But like, is the military programming them to do whatever? Well, that is kind of the scary thing, because as the sex bots do advance, you wonder, okay, so this is the consumer facing part of it. What is going on behind the scenes with the military, with DARPA? Like, what are what are they going to do with these? And then can I have sex with it? <laughs> would probably be the next question you know, that someone's going to ask. It's a murder bot, but can I have sex with it? Okay, well. People use the internet to view porn because before but you're going to a movie theater or whatever, right? So you had like the safe spot. So the internet was hoisted forward because of the the demand for pornography but then of course it turned into all sorts of other things that no one would have thought about in the late 90s and like the sex bot is developed once it is reached sentient then it's like screw the sex bot part we're just gonna like (laughs) hack this thing and do whatever yeah i i think it was i i'm probably gonna get this all mixed up but i think it was 2014 where facebook surpassed porn as the number one use of the internet so we're like only 10 years into the internet being used for something other than accessing porn so you're not you're not wrong about that (laughs) yeah and then a sex bot right i mean what happens if your sex bot is sentient and she or he says i i don't want to i don't want to have sex with you if we don't consider them human or sentient then it's basically a slave. And then we're back to, you know, rape and domestic violence and all the things that supposedly these sex bots were going to help us get away from. You get into all sorts of dilemmas. The person who created it could then be in jail for having sex with it against, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but if you never create it, you never would be in jail. You get into all these conundrums. Like you said, I mean, the, the laws never keep up with technology, right? I mean, like, I mean, so the the time these laws would ever be on on the books and really be able to be enforced, it's going to be decades after the fact. Yeah. And you can see a similar dilemma with the self-driving car. If your self-driving car fails to break and hits and kills a pedestrian, are you responsible as the owner of the car? Is the car manufacturer responsible? Is it the software manufacturer who's responsible? We really haven't even been able to figure that out and now we're going to throw a sex bot <laughs> in there it's in the car situation who's responsible in your thought process i mean obviously if it's gross negligence on the part of the person in the car they could be held culpable i i tend to lean on the software that it's the software manufacturer who is responsible in this case and not even like the car manufacturer but specifically the software if we're talking about like the sentient part at that point then the robots would have just as many laws and protection as the human, but then they would be probably vastly advanced. So then there would be no humans, right? Eventually the the robots would just take over and we would eventually, we'd be creating our own 
demise. There is a book, I forget the name of it, but he basically has like a percentage of how humanity will be wiped out. So he talks about nuclear weapons and climate change and whatever, some just weird event. And he has the highest percentage at 10% that humanity will be wiped out by AI is his highest. I think it's Orb is his like the guy's yeah, like, yeah, that sounds familiar. It's interesting because one of the weirder theories out there, it's called like Roscoe's or Rocco's Basilisk. And the theory is that we already live in a simulation that was created by an artificial superintelligence and it's punishing us for not creating it sooner. And in that case, yeah, we're going to get destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I buy into the, you know, AI is going to destroy us, but I don't know why it would keep us around. <laughs> right. I mean, at that point, you're getting in, sounds like there's semantics. Yeah. You might, is, are you talking about, I mean, getting destroyed is a fast death. Not keeping us around is a slow death. Either way, it's, it's, an, ex, it's an extinct, do you want to be extinct fast or do you want to be extinct slow? Is what I, I mean, that. <laughs> yeah. Do you research all science fiction? Like, what is your real focus on just in science fiction? Do you have a particular topic? How did you get interested in science fiction to begin with? It all started with Alice in Wonderland. So when I was at LSU, my dissertation was a linguistic genealogy of science fiction from Lewis Carroll to cyberpunk. And I'd say cyberpunk is probably still my main interest, although I have branched out into more transhumanism lately. I've always liked science fiction. <laughs> it's good escapism. No, um, I do like science fiction because science fiction talks about the things that we don't want to talk about and it highlights what's going on in the moment it's written but it does it from a future perspective which is really fascinating to me i tend to think that we live in this era where it's just a lot of hype cycles i'm not sure how how old you are but i'm 41 i didn't have a cell phone in high school and right. you know the internet will take 10 minutes to load up a, a picture to me, things really changed once the iPhone came out and people were able to have social media and things on their actual phone. Mm -hmm. But a lot of things have, in some ways, have re regressed technologically. If you were to go into a coma in 1995 and wake up today, the internet would be faster. There'd be a little <laughs> bit of faster things, but you wouldn't be blown away. You'd be like, what? I was in a coma for you know for 30 years and this is this is all you've done? Well, especially with TV and movies, it's just recycling. It's constant recycling and rebooting. But you're right. You go to your coma in 95 and you wake up in 2024. And guess what? Night Court's still on the air. <laughs> yeah. <know>? Judge Judy. <laughs> I mean, like, and, uh, and I'm not sure when the Blackberry was out, but the Blackberry was basically, a, I mean, that was still in the 90s, right? Was that 99 when the Blackberry came out? You had a smartphone, essentially. At that era, my dad had a bag phone. It was a cell phone, but we had a cell phone and you didn't use it because it was expensive. You used it for like an emergency. You got a flat tire or something, but you still had the access to it. Yeah, I think I had my first Motorola flip phone in 99. So, um. <laughs> I just don't think we'll ever have these fully functioning AI sentient sex bot in our lifetime just because in, in my lifetime, I don't feel like we've actually progresses. I mean, the corporate media and, and corporations want to sell you something. They're like, okay, like, get that latest iPhone 15. It's so much better than the iPhone 3. If you don't have it, like you're a loser, you know? <laughs> I think it's like a lot of marketing, but then you actually get the phone and you're like, 
what's the camera's better, but that's because they want the camera to be better because yeah. they want the data. They want you <laughs> to use the camera because they want to get the data to train their AI systems. They don't care. They actually are probably losing money on the the upgrades. I, I like to think they are. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't see the whole the whole fully sentient thing. I think it could be possible. I'm hoping we don't go that way, though, because of all the ethical dilemmas that would come up. And we're already such a polarized country. Could you imagine throwing sentient robots into the mix? Now you have like three factions, <laughs> you know, robot rights and those on the left and those on the right. And it would just get very messy. So I hope we don't go that way. But I'm disturbed by the reports that I think it's either Google or OpenAI wants to develop an AI that can read our dreams. Like, why? I, I, I mean, I know why it's data, but it's like, that's so invasive. And that's so weird to me. But <laughs> In that book I mentioned to you by Dr. Kate Devlin turned on science, sex, and robots, but she talks about how we all have smart devices. You know, what's the the Internet of Things, which I think is just a, a bullshit word to say, like it's connected to the Internet. Yeah. But basically, she was talking about how there's vibrators, and so these vibrators would have a camera on them, and that, that vibrator's hacked. But then it's also like it's connected to your account, and it has how often you use it. It has the temperature in, inside there which then gives data on your menstrual cycle and your fertilities <laughs> and things like, and then someone has act like to me, like I have no idea why you would have a vibrator or a dildo that's connected to the internet. Like nothing good is going to come of that. And then if you're ever shocked that it was hacked, like, come on, of course it's, it's going to, I mean, how are you shocked? Like, oh my God, I can't believe my smart dildo got hacked. Like, smart. I mean, come <laughs> Uh, I, the only I, I've heard people explain it that you want your dildo or vibrator connected to the internet so that you can use music to vibrate. So you throw on like your <laughs> so throw on your favorite EDM track and then you know your vibrator vibrates to it. <laughs> if you just pick the right song, you could sync it up without actually having to be. <laughs> but... I know. It's extra steps. <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter when we, we hit this sentient, you know, bot, right? The sentient sex bot. It could be 100 years, 10 years, 1,000 years. The point is, is that there's going to be this incremental progression to it, right? Yes. And But there has to be a point. When is there a point where it's just like, okay, we probably need to stop. You think there's a point where it's like, we need to stop actually advancing this? But then, like, what was like open to AI reason? Well, if we don't develop it, China will develop it. And you yeah. want, you know, China or India or name other country? <laughs> well, I, I think we're kind of, again, going back to the self driving cars, we've kind of seen that industry pull back on the self driving part, right? Nobody has been able to develop a fully self driving car yet. And in a lot of ways, everyone's kind of moving away from the idea of the self driving. I think maybe. Maybe Tesla is still trying to do it, but the reality with the self-driving car with Tesla's in, in particular is that Tesla could brick your car at any moment. You're putting the control of your car in the hands of somebody who's nowhere near you and could remotely just tell your car to stop working. We already know that they fudged the statistics on on it. What was it? They were 
programming them to have lights come on for services that weren't needed. And then they were hiding the lights for services that were needed. So I could see sex robots kind of going similar, like progressing up to this point, and then either it being too expensive to keep going or somebody realizes this is a bad idea. Like, let's pull it back. Anything like that, the corporations love. It's like the, the Tesla. And I don't, I, mean, I don't need to bash on Tesla. I think it's yeah. any EV. But it's basically you get all these upgrades. All these upgrades are essentially just software. Mm-hmm. And then you go to sell the car and they wipe out mm-hmm. all of the upgrades. So like one, like, so the, the next person who buys the car, oh, I want heated seats. Oh, that's an upgrade. Mm-hmm. You know, like you got California talking about putting a limiter on there. It's like, oh, I don't want to have a speed limiter. I want to get the speed limiter off. My guess is California is like, oh, just pay us 150 bucks a year and <laughs> speed limiter is off, right? Or whatever. They want all this stuff electronic just because you have control. And I don't think they care as much about the control as they care as much about the ability to either A, if you're a government tax someone, or B, if you're a corporation to, to pay for these upgrades. Yeah. And I, I, I would imagine that the sex bots would be even worse. Like it, it would be constant updating on the software, possibly constant updating on the language base. And then, oh, you want to have her have this particular moan. That's an upgrade. You want her to do this particular position. Well, that's an upgrade. And I could see where they would be nickel and diming people because once you've bought the actual unit, that's if they're not updating it, then that's all they get out of you. They only get the five or $15,000. But if they continue to upgrade it and offer new features, you know, now they got you. If it was a corporation that had this software, what if they wanted to blackmail you with it? They're like, hey, we record you doing all these sex acts. Yeah. And then we're now either pay the company an extra $100 a month, $1,000 a month, or, or what if the robot says you raped me and now you have to pay the the company to then to be like, well, you didn't actually, I'm just blackmailing you. Like you, cause again, yeah. you're dealing, you're not just, you're not just dealing with the sex bot itself. You're dealing with the corporation that controls that software or whatever. Yeah. Could I mean, you imagine go, going to court being blackmailed by your sex robot? <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. I, I could see that. I, uh, probably Judge Judy, right? She'll still be on the air. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Judge, yeah, she'll still. <laughs> but um, that's kind of what happened with, with Pepper when Pepper was released by SoftBank and then people sexualized it. So then they changed the instruction manual and they said, you know, if we suspect or catch you sexualizing or doing sexual things with this robot, we're just going to deactivate it. And your SOL. Now, how many people read the terms of service on that? I don't know, but um... I'd I'd bet close to zero. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I don't even think and Pepper wasn't even all that expensive, really. But not not fifteen thousand. Can you imagine? You just spent fifteen thousand dollars on your your sex robot. She accuses you of something, and they just brick it. <laughs> now you got a fifteen thousand dollar paperweight. Right. And then what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to put it on eBay? Like, oh, yeah, I got this. You know, like, how do you put it out? What do you just like take it out to the curb? Like, okay, I'm going to pick it up trash. No one's going to think it's weird. I'm seeing it on eBay and it's like used only a few times. It's like, ew. (laughs) Right. Right. And then are these self-cleaning robots at a certain point or do you have? So that was the thing I was curious about with the example in Amsterdam. Was there someone that was in there like the whole time cleaning it between customers? Yeah, yeah, they had they cleaned them in between. So most of these models have removable uh, vaginas and removable mouthpieces. And it's 
taking them and cleaning them, sanitizing them, and then putting them back in. So yeah, somebody got to do that. Was someone in there actually watching you or they're just like behind a curtain while you're yeah, or something? They just like go a, in between. A front desk. I imagined it like a front desk clerk. So if somebody left, then they went in, you know, to start turnovers or something. But yeah, they, ha- they had to be. Was that a government job, you think, in Amsterdam? Probably. It probably, probably was. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess the there taxpayers are- Taxpayers <laughs> Yeah. That was a taxpayer-funded brothel, right, then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, yeah, they don't, they don't self-clean. So whatever you do to them, you have to be willing or somebody has to be willing to clean up after. Jen, do you and your husband have children at all or do you? No. Hypothetically, let's say you have a child and we're at the point now where these robots are sentient and your daughter's son comes home like, yeah, this is Lucy. It's a, you know, third generation. We're going to get married. Would you be okay with that or like? I'd like to think I'd be okay with that because, okay, I mean, you're happy, you're healthy, you're self-actualized if this is the way you want to go. Um, I'd probably be less worried about, hey, is your prospective spouse a gold digger or, (laughs) you know, like, I would hope that the robot wouldn't have that tendency. But it is weird and it, it does kind of I think parallel for some people who struggle when their children come out to them, the, well, I'm never going to get grandkids, even though that's not necessarily true. There are ways to have children, but yeah, it's kind of weird. That'd be weird. Like, does she have parents? <laughs> Who's she going to invite to the wedding? <laughs> right now, this is kind of an interesting thought experiment. We're pretty far off from, from yeah. this. I honestly, I hope in my lifetime, I don't have to answer these questions. If I do, I'll probably be like 90 years old and senile, I hope. And <laughs> but when I read your article, it was pretty interesting. The ethical things like who has more rights at some point, humans or AI? And if we continue on this trajectory, that will be a, a real question at some point. I don't know when that question is, but it will be. Yeah, it is. A, it is a real, uh, an interesting one because, you know, pets, like I have a cat and she's looking at me right now. So um, we have pets and there are some protections for pets in certain situations, but for the most part, there's not. Would a robot have more rights than a pet or would they have less rights than a pet? It's really, yeah. I don't really want to deal with any of this. <laughs> I'll I'll be senile as well. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to since you're a a university professor, how often do does topics like this come up in social sciences, humanities, with technology, especially when you're doing online school with the pandemic? Was there a lot more things going virtual? Was this kind of like a common topic? Actually, I think it was less so when we were (laughs) virtual, but. It comes up pretty regularly because in my composition classes, the theme is sort of AI and humanity. How is our interacting with AI changing what it means to be human and where do we see that going, especially in pop culture? And then when I teach science fiction, it certainly comes up because I choose the books. <laughs> so, Right. Yeah, you choose. But as you said earlier, though, most of the students are actually not really... Mm-hmm. For the, because the one thing I kind of saw during the pandemic was people wanted human to human interaction. I remember it wasn't too long ago, like maybe five years ago, people like, oh, the movie theater's dead. You're, why would you go to a movie theater when you can yeah. just stream it? And vinyl records are back in vogue. 
And going to the movie theaters back in Vogue, people want to be out and do things. Mm-hmm. And people like to brag about stuff like, oh, this is my girlfriend or this is my boyfriend, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Versus like, oh, this is my sex bot, Julio. <laughs> you know, like just bought him fresh <laughs> off the line. He's three days old. I don't, I mean, he... <laughs> uh, that is, I mean, that's all very true. I was surprised when we went back to face to face classes how excited the students were to be back in a classroom, to be able to work with their peers, to talk to their faculty member face-to-face. Now, some of them had to relearn what it means to be a student and how to behave in a classroom. But for the most part, they were really excited uh, to be back. And yeah, that for the most part, my students just are not, they just they just laugh. They roll their eyes. So they're like, oh, of course, someone's going to have a virtual girlfriend. You're at the uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering, though, you probably have more analytical. I mean, people are more math if they're engineer. I mean, oh, is, yeah. uh, is everyone at the Milwaukee, they're all engineering students, right? And right. they're fulfilling some type of humanities credit, right? But they're all going to graduate and be engineers. You think it'd be different if you're uh, down the street at Marquette or University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and you got, I don't know, a person that's going to be an art history major or someone that's going to be uh political science, you know, it was a poli sci or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I think that our students are very unique. We do have nursing and business as well, but they're all still very rational, pragmatic, logical, engineering kind of mindset. Um, and that's what makes it kind of fun to teach these things because they're so like, oh, resistant to it. And you're like, but think about this, think about this, think about this. And then they start to sort of warm up to the topic. If I were at a traditional liberal arts school, I think I'd probably have a lot more students who are willing to adopt the sort of technology. And, uh, but I don't know that, I don't know that you could have the same ethical debates that I can have with the engineers. It'd be interesting to see it with a different kind of subset of students to see their reaction. But like you said, until there's a, a major advancement with these bots, you're basically talking about a doll and you're not really putting people in that situation where they really would have more of an apples to apples yeah. comparison. Yeah. And even when I show some of the on the AI girlfriends and boyfriends, you know, the renderings are just not that great. They don't really look human. You know, the mouths don't match the words coming out of them. And that just makes my students laugh even harder. Ultimately, it's like people want someone that falls in love with them and that they feel like they've, you know, like you people like pursue people and want to be pursued. And if you're not having to do any of that, you're not playing that cat and mouse game, so to speak, because it's just like a sex bot program to love you. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of falling in love, right? It is. And I always argue that the two defining characteristics of humans, one, we know we're going to die. We don't know when. We don't know how, but we know it's going to happen. And very uh, few other life forms on the planet have that realization. And then the second is that we want to be loved. And whether that's romantic love or adoration or putting our names on buildings, right? That's part of our legacy is the connections we make with other humans. So sex bots who are programmed to automatically like you do kind of short circuit, I think, that basic human need. I believe in Charlie Munger Almanac, he says something to the effect of, you don't hang out with people that you find interesting. You hang out with people that find you interesting. Yeah. And I think I think there's a lot to that. Yeah, definitely. And again, somebody who's programmed to like you, to program to have the same interests, that's not as interesting. 
Dr. Jennifer Farrell, professor of humanities and social sciences at the Milwaukee School of Engineering and author of the very interesting article, Not Just in Factories, Robots in the Bedroom, has joined us today. So, Jen, I appreciate you spending over an hour with us, and I know you got to get to class, so I don't want to make sure you're late, but where can people get a hold of you, find you? And then secondly, leave us with a final thought about these, (laughs) about about today's podcast? Well, I, you can find me through msoe.edu. Um, that's, you know, all my faculty information is up there. My last thought on this is that I think this is really fascinating. And for me, on one hand, I think it's cool. And I think it could be really useful, especially for people's mental health, people who are lonely, people who are struggling. But on the other hand, it's like, I'm not 100% comfortable with this either. And so I think it's okay to not have a solid opinion on sex robots. You know, I think that it's okay to go back and forth between the viewpoints. Speaking of some of the therapeutic side, when I was doing some research, I saw some research on adults with autism and sex bots. But then it's like, maybe these people with autism, are they really able to give consent if you're at a certain point where you're mentally capacitated and then you have some person with another adult in the room. And I seem like I would not want to be part of that study from a legal legal standpoint, I can tell you that. Yeah. My my dad was in a, a memory care facility before he passed, and they had little robotic cats that they used as companions. And I thought that was a, a really cool idea. But I probably would not have been comfortable with them putting a sex spot in my dad's room. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so... no i 100 agree with that thank you so much for joining us this is a very interesting conversation (laughs) i appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us yeah thank you thank you for having me my dear friends that is it for this episode of l podcast once again if you're not yet subscribed please subscribe on youtube as well as rumble You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. We thank you all from the bottom of our hearts for watching and listening, and we will see you on the next episode.